Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product, whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global. Our guests will help you grow, scale up, and work smarter. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us on SaaScast today. Hey, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Excited for the conversation. Me too, definitely. Um, so before we get started then, um, before we get into the sort of meat of this discussion, um, I'm sure our audience would just love to hear a little bit about yourself, um, your background, and what it is about um, your sort of current position that kind of fills you with excitement or drive. Yeah, sure. So um started off my career on the startup side of the world um, and sort of very early into that company uh, in my career, the company actually got acquired. And it was the first time I was exposed to this idea that um, companies get invested in and bought and sold, you know, sold all, all the time. And I sort of fell in love with, with that world of investing. And I thought, you know, I was wanted to do sort of all the things that you needed to do to, to become a great startup investor. And I would just join a VC firm and, you know, I'd have a great career and experience around, around building companies. And, you know, I, I guess it was a bit naive <clears throat> to think you could just jump into that world without, you know, getting some of the requisite experiences that, um, you know, a lot of VCs have. So it actually took me a pretty long time uh, to, to get into venture um, but you know, I was sort of un- undeterred and, and and did all the things that that the one needs to do over a ten to twelve year period to acquire the experience that that is needed to do this job. So, um, you know, I sort of got into consulting to understand how business models work and how to how to actually build businesses. Uh, went back to business school, um, did the MBA thing, um, and you know, worked in a variety of 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 different sort of financial roles and ultimately joined Thomson Reuters about eight years ago, um, where, where I was fortunate enough to have, a, a you know, a couple of different experiences working in different parts of, of the Thomson Reuters, uh, corporation. So did some, some corp dev work. Um, I was able to join the product management and product strategy team, uh, building and, 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 uh, investing organic capital across our, our portfolio. I was able to join the commercial strategy team and ultimately worked my way to to the corporate strategy team where I was able to do a fair bit, fair bit of M&A. And then about a year and a half ago, um, we decided that we wanted to launch a venture fund. And, you know, all the while, while I'd sort of been gaining all the professional experience that I, that I've been able to, to gain through the uh, areas of businesses that I've worked in at, at TR, I was on the side, doing some of the scrappy stuff that you need to do, uh, working with incubators, um, becoming advisors to, to startups, doing doing a little bit of angel investing. And when the time came to launch the fund, you know, I was sort of right there in the center with my hand raised, saying, "Guys, I gotta gotta give give me a shot at helping spin this up." And you know, luckily enough, um, the leadership team at, at TR were, were happy to to give me the opportunity, and then. You know, from there we've we've been off and running for the last year and a half. Um, so it's been a super exciting journey, and and now I feel like we're at the point where we're we're pretty well established, and we have a pretty good pace of of investment and and pretty good thesis around the fund. 
That's really, really great to hear. Thanks so much for that. Um, so you kind of come then with with quite a unique perspective, I think, of, um, like you said, actually witnessing how products are built um, as well and sort of getting into that part and really, I suppose, um, gaining that perspective, I think that's probably very important for an, for an investor, a venture capitalist, on what it takes actually to build an organization. Um, you've sort of been in the weeds with at that actual point as well. Um, so that's really great. I, I was wondering then, what is it about, because today we're obviously looking at how, um, how in particular SaaS startups, um, what kind of qualities they should be looking for in, in when they're building their own organization in, uh, I suppose, making themselves more attractive for investment. Um, and I was wondering... What is it about the current landscape that makes this conversation so important, do you think? What is it, uh, if you could maybe think about current trends, like what what are you seeing currently in the in the current uh, sort of SaaS sphere? Yeah, so it's, it's, so it's a great question. Um, and I guess I'll, maybe I'll take a, a long way to answer it by just giving a little bit of context about the lens that I'm coming at that question through. Um, so our, our fund's a hundred million dollar fund. We're series a focused, uh, it's a financially focused fund. Like any other VC, we just have the added benefit of the connection to, to Thomson Reuters. So we're investing in and around the markets that the Thomson Reuters corporation operates in. So we're big in legal tech. We're big in tax software. We're big in fraud risk and, and compliance. So my lens in, in answering that question is, is very much through the kind of B2B SaaS lens. So I feel like that's, that's just kind of a good level setting comment. And then I guess, you know, from a kind of overall landscape standpoint, we've, we've kind of, you know, it's kind of been a whipsaw last 18 months, you know, obviously coming out of COVID, you know, there was, you know, a variety of different dynamics in terms of liquidity in the market and, um, you know, public companies kind of um, having a ton of uh, liquidity and, um, ultimately valuation sort of inflating very dramatically, which flooded into the private markets, driving up a lot of private company valuations. And, you know, over the last 12 months or, or so, um, you know, that has, you know, definitely reversed with, you know, a lot of liquidity coming out of the market with interest rates rising, valuation multiples compressing significantly. And I think, um, you've seen a much more stringent investment environment um, because of that, and I think it really um, it, it it really kind of shows it. It really shows itself in some of the later stage in you know investment availability, like Series B, C, and, and D companies. I think are are still sort of having a a, a tough time um, getting funding. Only really the best companies are able to run to, to raise um, up rounds you know we're seeing a lot of flat or or down rounds at, at the later stages and at the same time you know the earlier stages you know there's there's still significant opportunity so the valuation compression definitely has leaked its way into series a and even to some degree into seed but to a much lesser extent um and then i, I think there really is a bifurcation between um companies that are are AI companies and kind of everyone else. And you know, I think we're seeing, you know, significant uh, flows to AI startups 
we're seeing uh, valuations in that category uh, in, inflate significantly. So, so there's certainly a, you know a bifurcation in the market. Um, you know, while at the same time, you know, the competition for for liquidity is is uh, for 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 investment capital is um, starting to starting to increase. So it's it's a it's a dynamic environment, um, but it's one where we we still feel there are there are pretty attractive opportunities. We're we're generally optimistic about the potential uh, to deploy capital in this environment, and um, you know we're we're in the market um, in, investing. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's really um, uh, part of the answer that I didn't expect there that I suppose I, I should have really was was in AI. And I mean, I, I should have expected that, I suppose, because of how that's absolutely just exploded over the past, uh, well, couple of years, but it's really sort of come on, on the public kind of online stage recently. What is it about those companies you think that makes them more attractive, the ones that perhaps are investing heavily in, in AI software processes? Yeah, I mean, you know, at this <clears throat> at this point, you know, there there are a couple of things. I think they're kind of quick answers. There's significant hype in the market around the promise of what AI can deliver. I mean, ChatGPT has transformed the way the world thinks about machine learning, generative AI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was you know, maybe the best commercial that could have possibly been run for, for artificial intelligence, machine learning, particularly. Um, and so, you know, that hype is making every company rethink their strategy, large and small, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking about how to incorporate generative AI into their products or build new products around generative AI. And, you know, I think, for for some of the earlier stage companies, um, you know, it pre- presents a significant opportunity, and you know the, the there are you know plenty of industries that have been relatively untouched by technology that this you know adva- uh, this evolution in 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 generative AI is is going to impact, and so the the market opportunity is real, and I think. You know the the world is kind of getting on the same page with with how to kind of pursue that opportunity and and you know it's 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 certainly uh, an area of of hot interest for for investors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's. I mean, it's it's certainly understandable considering you know the the, the sort of cost saving that I think perhaps um, AI presents with uh, SaaS startups with in terms of, you know, just scaling quickly. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, so I, I actually think about it more from an, um, more from an opportunity, uh, you know, value creation opportunity standpoint right. than, than kind of a directly a cost savings uh, standpoint. I, I think the way we've sort of been thinking about this is, is you know, there's really – as a, as a platform shift, it's an opportunity to bring together a set of capabilities uh, mm-hmm. around information retrieval and generation of, of text um, and analysis of of documents and images. Think things that previously would have sort of had to been distinct products that maybe wouldn't even work as well, requiring a lot of kind of bespoke training. 
um, are, are really coming together as part of a a new platform uh, that that just previously kind of wouldn't wouldn't have been possible. Mm-hmm. And, so you're looking at it more as as the, the sort of unique value that a product can offer. Yeah. It, rather than yeah, that's great. Yeah, I guess it's um it, there are definitely various sort of capabilities that present through this technology. I think that weren't before. Um. So so then. Let's go back to this idea of, of value then. Like what is, because that really ties in, I think, with the main kind of thrust of this conversation. When you look at a company or a SaaS startup that's seeking capital, uh, seeking funding of any kind, what are the qualities that you would look at when you're looking to see if this is a company that's going to that's gonna, um provide value that's going to be, you know, that's going to make it, maybe won't. What, what, is, what are the main qualities you'd look for? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we sort of have a sort of dynamic process for for how we evaluate companies. We get pretty granular in all the different areas that we we kind of we kind of look at around the, the product, the market, the the technology, the team, um, you know, what we can add as investors. But I, I guess I could sort of boil it down to like three things that we really zero in on at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I think I think the main thing about the 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 company that we look for is like, is there a unique insight uh, that this company is being built around? Mm-hmm. And and that unique insight can can be around a product or the technology. Like, is there a new way of building a product or a new capability mm-hmm. um, that has been developed or could be developed uh, that that can uniquely or um, in a novel way solve a problem? Or mm-hmm. is there um, a change in in the market in is there um something that is driving a shifting consumer in customer behavior mm-hmm. um that you know you know there maybe there's a catalyst for or um because a new technology exists new sets of behaviors are starting to emerge and the sort of company is being built around taking advantage of, of that type of behavior and then you know, I think that the team, you know, being one of the more important things that we look at is, is kind of like, are they well positioned um, to pursue the opportunity that they've, uh, that they've zeroed in on? Mm-hmm. So is there some experience or some skill set that the team possesses that is makes them uniquely qualified to kind of pursue the market or build the build the product that they're, they're focused on? So when the when a, a company is pitching, then their own talent, their team is a is a massive asset that they should showcase. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, it's one of the most Im- important things, and I think they're you know it's it's, it's a kind of dynamic, uh, multifaceted thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just we have these four people; they went to really good schools and did really cool stuff in their career. It's it's more so you know what is it that they know about the market that maybe others don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really great yeah so what do you see then are some of the key mistakes or that the, the companies make when they're putting together these kind of pitches um for vc funding what, what, what where do you see people sort of turning their attention where it's perhaps a little bit misguided or misplaced commonly yeah i think I think oftentimes 
when I see pitches that I feel like I'm disconnected to, it feels like I'm being told things that I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just not the optimal approach. Like it's, it's not a great situation to have a sort of a disconnect between the reality of the business and what you're focused on building where you actually are and ultimately how you position it and, and ultimately pitch it. I think the, the more transparency, the more reality that you can infuse into that conversation, mm-hmm. the better. And I get that that makes the conversation harder and it means that it, you have to probably spend more time talking to investors. But I, I, I do think there's a, a good balance there mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you have the right conversation, find the right investor, but you're not just in this kind of always pitching mode. Um, so I, you know, that, that's kind of the, the, the one area where, I, where I'd say, you know, the more sort of straightforward with the business reality that you can be in, you know, even, even at the expense of maybe having to have, you know, a hundred more conversations. <laughs> um, once you, once you do find the right investor, I think it will be significantly more valuable. Uh, so I, I think it's worth uh, yeah. the effort up front. So authenticity then is, is important, do you think? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say it that harshly. I would just kind of make sure there is a dose of reality. It's not like that founders are being inauthentic in how they represent the the business. Sometimes I think I feel like there's generally, you know, or sometimes when um, when the conversation isn't as productive, it is there is a level of optimism or. Um, yeah, maybe just looking through at the company through a rose tinted set of glasses that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ultimately makes it harder to you know make a decision on on if mm-hmm. the investment team and the founding team are a good fit for each other so you want to see i guess that makes sense because you want to see that they're going to be aware of the potential pitfalls and risks that it takes to scale a business and that they're going to have a potential answer for that right yeah, I mean that, that that those are things that that I want to see, but I, but I also really want to, you know, for me, I want to understand, you know, and I want to be able to have a point of view on if we're going to be useful as investors, and mm-hmm. like ultimately if we deserve a spot on the cap table, right? Yeah. Like that's really what I'm trying to get to, and if if there's a kind of distance between the reality of the business and how the business is being positioned, it sort of obfuscates some of those points and kind of makes it harder to to make a good decision. And it's not, you know, a good decision. Like obviously, you know, big point of the investments that we make are to make money, but mm. but it's also, you know, we're building a business together is the way we think about it. We're roll your sleeves up folks. Like we want to get involved in the business. We want to help build it. And if we're not the right people to do that, you know, it doesn't it, you know, it's not beneficial to have us on the cap table. No, no, absolutely not. No, I think it's, it makes perfect sense that um, you want to be able to get to that answer as quickly as possible, don't you? Of, of is this a partnership that's going to work? Yeah, and I think it's you know getting to the answer quickly, but also getting to the right answer. Yes, mm-hmm. for both the investor and the company itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what? Let's let's look at particularly because we do a lot of. Um, writing on this subject at Future of SaaS. We have done in our blog articles and we have brought in writers to write about it. And one of the things that continuously comes up is metrics. 
is this the thing that you focus on in, in on in particular? And, and if it is, well, I imagine it is, what metrics in particular are you going to be looking at? Or does it just depend on the type of business that you have? Or are there certain metrics that should always be presented front and center that you're going to be looking at? I mean, like, the answer is yes, across the board, right? Like certain businesses will just have, you know, inherently you know, different commercial models, different metrics will be more important, but we're very metrics driven overall. Mm-hmm. So we like to kind of dig into the financials. We like to dig into the market. We like to dig into product velocity uh, to, to understand mm-hmm. you know, how the business is working. And it just sort of helps for us to get a grasp on what the business is doing, how it's working, how it's operating, how it's you mm-hmm. know gaining momentum in the market to be able to quantify a lot of those different areas and kind of measure that, you know, based on what we sort of see in the industry as like standard benchmarks, for example. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So we talked about the, the competition being a big factor at the moment, I think in, in, you know, in terms of the difficulty it might be to uh, obtain funding um, and we know obviously SaaS has completely exploded and, and obviously the, it seems like every software company, well, is a SaaS company really. Um, so what differentiates SaaS startups with that sort of, with a sustainable competitive advantage from others? Like, well, what do you think, what qualities do they have? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a broad question. I, I, I think, you know, there are a couple, couple of things, the, the way we think about this is, like great products win, mm-hmm. um, but there are many ways to build differentiation. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, kind of, kind of sort of cutting through the question a little bit, like all things being equal, you know, I think having the right team, the right group of people around the table is mm-hmm. really the best competitive advantage because it's it's those people who are going to find product market fit and be able to, to scale the business. Um, and, you know, and like, like we said, you know, that often comes down to, uh, you know, the founding team being able to attract the right set of individuals to to the business to help bring that uh, surface that unique insight about the market or what's happening with technology or product, uh, and be able to kind of execute on, on all those areas. So, like all things being equal, you know, that is sort of the one thing that I think sort of cuts through everything. But then on on the you know. Other th- other areas that we we look for differentiation, which might not be surprising if you know about Thomson Reuters, we we are uh, information producers at the heart of our our business. We have a bunch of online legal information databases, tax information databases, uh, along with a, a ton of productivity solutions and software uh, for, for the categories that we operate in. But so when we look for differentiation, you know a, a big area that we sort of feel really comfortable about looking into is the ability to build a data moat, um, the ability to collect data, enrich data, or get value out of data in some novel way that differentiates a product. And then also uh, supports the foundation for being able to sort of scale a network of users that can also generate maybe some unique data that it would ultimately en- enrich uh, the the data network that that a company can can build so um you know th- those are some of the the areas that we look at that's that's an example um but you know there like i said there are there are many many ways to build a competitive moat 
um, you know, so, some of them can be go to market oriented. Some of them can be on the sort of cost of production, the economic, the unit economics of, of a business. Uh, so that's just one example, but we always look for what, what a business is doing and how they are building a, a, a competitive moat. I think it's, it's an, it's an important um, mm-hmm. characteristic of any successful business. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand that. Let's look at um, pricing models. I want to look at how how that can impact the success of a SaaS startup. What are you, what are your thoughts on the importance of this of a sort of well defined and scalable pricing strategy, and how would this factor into your your considerations in terms of investment? Yeah, so I think this this is. Pricing strategy, I think, is is sort of a function of the go-to-market strategy. Mm-hmm. So you so you kind of have to orient that question around, you know, is there a product-led growth strategy or is there kind of like an enterprise mm-hmm. sales motion? And ultimately, what are the unit economics of the business today? And how do we believe that those that those would scale? Like mm-hmm. all of those areas are important to think about ultimately how you then price uh, a product. And I guess if you kind of just take some basic pricing principles, you know, there's kind of three buckets that you sort of think about when when setting a price. Um, cost plus, so how much does it cost you to produce a thing, and and what is a reasonable margin on top of that cost that ultimately can uh, you know support support the business. And then there's value based pricing, which is how much value am I creating with my product? Can I take a piece of that value? What is the most of that value I can reasonably take and still have that value be significant to my customers? And then there's you know the sort of competitive dynamic. Like I can't price ten times higher than whatever my number one or two competitors are pricing, right? Because you know unless I'm producing that much more value than than they are. Um, you know, the, the pricing, the competitive pressures will ultimately grind my price down. So, you know, I think those are kind of the three buckets that you sort of think about when setting a good um, pricing strategy. But I think, I think the kind of main principles that I think about uh, when setting that price and thinking about pricing strategies, ultimately, like pricing needs to be s- simple. Mm-hmm. Customers hate complicated pricing if they don't understand the pricing that's a point of friction for product adoption and mm-hmm. it's a hard one to to get past if it's confusing they don't understand because ultimately especially with enterprise sales like you need to be able to make it an obvious choice for mm-hmm. for a customer um customers um you know in the enterprise they they need to feel like and i know this is a little bit of a you know, kind of an amorphous point but they need to feel like they're getting value for what they pay for Mm -hmm. uh and you know you need to not only feel that way but you also be able you need to be able to sort of demonstrate that with an roi model um so there is a little bit of a a tightrope to walk there but um yeah it goes back to simplicity and make the value that you get for what you pay uh very very clear and you can kind of extrapolate that backwards to how maybe any individual will think about buying you know making a big purchase for something in 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 their life right like a car or a house like you want to feel like what you're you're getting a significant level of value for what you're paying for and i think it's the same uh sort of feeling that you need to have customers feel when when buying software products because especially with enterprise sales like 
you know, there, there generally needs to be like a champion to kind of bring uh, a product through a process for a business. And they need to, um, you know, have the confidence that what they're doing is right for the business and that all their stakeholders are, are going to see the value in what they're doing, uh, you know, to sort of get you through all the kind of procurement uh, hoops that you might have to jump through. Yeah, I think, again, it, it goes back to transparency a little bit, doesn't it? I think it sets a good precedent when it's really obvious to customers what they what the cost is and the benefits that they're going to get from it. I think on it in a kind of subtle way, it establishes a good relationship. Well, the first steps of a good relationship between the user and the and the org, perhaps, as well. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So SaaS startups go through different growth stages. We know this, but what are some of the key milestones or indicators you expect a SaaS startup in particular to achieve at each stage? And, and how would these milestones affect your decisions? Yeah, so... You know, it, we 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 sort of come at this through uh, what I would maybe describe as a somewhat flexible lens. Like different companies at different stages will have different milestones, and they should be compared with, um, you know, companies of of similar situations. And it's sometimes hard to find those those comparable companies. So, I think I think the kind of principles that we that we look for are. Um, we want we want to see accelerating momentum more than anything else. We want to see uh, demonstrated through the, the the metrics of the business. So the ARR or the net revenue retention. We want to see the pace of customer acquisition increasing. We want there to be um, demonstration of of product market fit, particularly in in the earlier stages. Um, you know, when you sort of get to the later stages, you know, we, we we still want to see the momentum. We want to see the growth. We want to see re- retention of, of the customers. But, um, you know, that you're starting to standardize the trajectory a little bit more or, um, you know, maybe the the business is not so much. It doesn't look so much like peaks and valleys. It looks like a more consistent line of growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for us. You know we're focused on on the earlier stages, Series A for, for the most part, and um, for us, we we want there to be demonstrated traction. We want at least an indication of early product market fit, and that usually happens around you know a, a, a million in ARR for for enterprise software companies. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we we want we don't want to just sort of achieve that at pace we want to see you kind of break through that threshold uh and start to you know the ideal scenario is that the momentum starts starts to accelerate uh at the 1 million in ARR mark mm-hmm. absolutely so you don't want to see any plateauing you want to see that it's just gaining momentum constantly yeah and uh, you know that that can happen in a lot of different ways you know mm-hmm. depending on the the product and the go to market strategy um, you want to start to see customers pulling the product out of the company. You want the reputation of the product start to start to catch in the in the industry that the company is focused on. Start to sell via word of mouth as much as your outbound sort of direct sales channel if if that's if that's the strategy. So mm-hmm. those are some of some of the indications that we we generally look for. That's really great. Thank you. So 
I want to go back then to the initial kind of pitch. We often, one of the things we often hear is that it's important for for whoever it is, the, the, the people, the founders, C-suite, whoever they are, to present the story of their product or their company. What is the value in this and how should it be presented, do you think? Yeah. So it's a, it's a great it's a great question. Um, I think I think that is the oppor- the the telling of the story is the opportunity to demonstrate your unique insight about a market or a technology mm-hmm. that led you to build the company that you're building mm-hmm. and explain why you're uniquely qualified to build that business and also demonstrate your operational rigor uh, and you know, it doesn't have to mean that you are have achieved everything you're going to achieve, but it, you want some milestones to demonstrate that, you know, what I say I'm going to do, I'm I'm going to be able to achieve because I've achieved uh, X, Y, and Z in the past mm-hmm. six to nine months. And what you need to believe for me to achieve those things are, are X, Y, and Z. Here are the fundamental assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of gives you an opportunity to, to sort of tell that story about the business and, you know, communicate to, to a potential investor, uh, you know, why you guys are, are, are well positioned to, to go out and, and, and execute on that story. Yeah. And like any story, it has to be persuasive, right? And convincing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge then it's not as easy as it sounds as you've said it sounds like from what you've told me um that investors can very quickly sniff out when perhaps somebody isn't being perhaps completely upfront or or about you know their company or what they've been through or, or their area of expertise yeah i wouldn't give us too much credit but <laughs> yeah i think um, it's it's more so that um the you know having the i think the transparency and the the mm. reality of the business gets you to a better answer yes. of whether or not the investor is a, is a good fit for for the business yeah. um and that that partnership between the business and the investment team are is is going to ultimately yield value for both sides yeah absolutely yeah i understand that completely so Let's kind of round this up then. Um, what is it? What would be your key kind of advice to um, SaaS startup founders who are seeking investment? What should they focus on? What, what are the key qualities that they should be focusing on? And how can they strive towards that? Yeah, so I mean, um, I guess I guess there are a couple of things. Uh, but I guess, you know, first it's like... <laughs> My advice is is probably, uh, you know, I, I would respect the point of view of the entrepreneur before I would take my advice on on how to build a business, because mm-hmm. those are the folks that are actually actually doing it. And you know, while I have a, a really good foundation of operational experience, you know, I've I've actually never started a technology company. So um, you know, sort of keep that in mind when you when you think about take, taking my advice. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. When when you think about when when I think about what I like to see um, from from founders who are for looking for investment, it is is back to some of those principles. It is, you know, demonstrate that you there is some unique insight around why the company is being built, why a product is being created, why there is a problem 
to solve and and why what you're building is is going to be sustainably differentiated uh, over the next several years uh, as as you build and, and scale the business and you know just be as transparent as you can about the reality uh, what what you know and have high confidence in versus what you are unsure of and still needs to be validated and you know to the degree that you can demonstrate you know some level of i think operational rigor i think is 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 super beneficial especially in in this market where um you know many investors are are shifting from a kind of growth at all cost mindset to uh you know growth and profitability uh is probably the you know balance between those is is probably more optimal mm-hmm. and so you know you know the ability to sort of demonstrate that unique insight the ability to to show that you have you know operational credibility because you know you've you've hit a set of milestones in in the past and you're well positioned to hit the ones that you're forecasting for for the next 12 months or 18 months um i think you know you kind of help um help make sure that you know the investors is the right fit and you know to the degree that you can bring that level of transparency i think is is only beneficial to finding the right investor and and i, I would say also you know be transparent with the pieces that you don't know and where you need help right hmm. like that's that's part of the thing that that i would think of from a founder's point of view like you're yes you want investment but you're also looking for strategic advice or help with um you know go to market or or any any area of the business that you need help on you know investors should be able to come to the table with you know a set of assets and expertise uh to, to be able to help accelerate that business so you know being transparent about what those areas are and what you need as a founder to be successful mm-hmm. will just be i think you know very helpful in in finding the right invest finding the right investor to to join the cap table so you think people maybe look at this too much as kind of a cold from a kind of cold financial standpoint and not enough maybe as like a kind of partnership of two. I, I guess I would say I think there are benefits in looking at investments through both lenses. Yes, completely. That's fair. Great. Um, well, I think that's been really helpful, Joe. Um, to finish off, we often do this thing on SASCast. Um, it's quite separate from the actual uh, subject of the discussion now. You mentioned earlier that um, you, that you were perhaps naive about going into your position. Uh, one of the things we do on SASCast is we like people to give us the three things that they wish they'd known before setting out on their career path. <laughs> is there anything now that you look back on in your career and think, oh, I was I was unprepared for that, or I wish I'd known that, I wish I'd known before I, I threw myself into into this, uh, into this sort of VC world? Uh, so, yes. I think the first thing is there actually isn't a great playbook to become a, a VC investor. The best thing to do is actually just to, start doing the job and you don't need anyone's permission to start doing the job. Um, you can research companies, you can reach out to founders, you can learn about companies and you can build an opinion on whether or not a, a company or a market is, is investable or, or attractive from an investment standpoint. So I wish someone just told me that, 
when I was starting off. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the second thing I would say is actually, uh, and this is something I'm still not, not great at is that, you know, a lot of, um, company building and investing in early stage companies is about, uh, the individuals that you interact with and that the network that you can build. And mm -hmm. it's not, you know, networking is kind of this buzzword that we just say, oh, got to do networking, got to meet people, got to go to, but actually, you know, have a strategy around how you build your network, be intent on the types of people that you want to interact with, the types of um, groups that, that you want to be a part of um, and, and kind of, kind of make it, make it a discipline. And, and that will actually yield significant benefits uh, over the long run. So you think some people perhaps are just a bit too uh, undiscerning about the networking. You need to come at it from a more intentional. Well, I think using myself as an example, I kind of went through the motions on on that a little bit for for a time, and you know, in hindsight, I think I would have been a little bit more intentional <laughs> in the way that I thought about networking, just the way I was more intentional about kind of, you know, building financial acumen or, mm -hmm. you know, understanding business models and, and, and some of the more, um, mm -hmm. uh, hard, uh, hard skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, I think it pays all the time to, I guess, kind of avoid that kind of shallower kind of, I want to succeed mindset and think about, well, what do I actually want to do? you know, is always the best way to go about it, isn't it? You know, rather than just jumping up, like, what is it I'm passionate about and how can I achieve that? Um, rather than just let me just grow my LinkedIn profile, grow my profile <laughs> with no actual uh, idea of what it is particular that you're you're going to specialize in or what you're going to have to offer. It's, it's sort of, it ties in quite well, I think, about what we've been saying about how startups need to pitch their companies. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks so much for this, Joe. That's great. Um, I think our, our listeners are really going to benefit from this conversation. Great. Yeah, I really appreciate the, the conversation, Anthony. This, is, this has been great. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.